This is a Data Science Channel program from the Halijialu Data Science Institute. Visit us at ucsd.tv slash data-science to learn more about how data is shaping our future. So I'm Justin Eldridge. I'm a teaching professor here in the Halijialu Data Science Institute uh, at UCSD, and I'll be the, the host and moderator of today's sequence of talks and panels on generative AI and ChatGPT in particular. So, uh, you know, the history of artificial intelligence is one of booms and busts of AI winters when progress was slow going, and then AI springs when tremendous progress was made seemingly overnight. Uh, and perhaps the first AI spring was back in the 1950s. Shown here is Frank Rosenblatt and his Perceptron machine. Uh, this was one of the first AI systems when connected to a pretty primitive digital camera. Uh, it could learn the difference between left and right by being shown cards. Uh, and this represented such a massive increase in the capabilities of machines at the time that uh, there was a lot of hype around this. And so the New York Times, for instance, wrote this article that uh, was pretty optimistic. It said things like later perceptrons will be able to uh, recognize people, recognize their names, translate speech, um, read and write. And this machine would even someday be conscious of its own existence. So this level of optimism continued for the next decade or so uh, until the 1970s when AI pioneer Marvin Minsky rather infamously predicted that in three to eight years, we will have a machine with the general intelligence of a human being. Now, of course, that didn't come to pass at the time in the 1970s. Uh, and unfortunately for, for Marvin Minsky, shortly after this, uh, the first AI winter, as it came to be known, happened when AI funding was cut because some of these bold claims about the capabilities of AI didn't pan out. Right? Uh, but I think if you fast forward to now in 2023 and we look at the progress of this, these generative AI systems, ChatGPT in particular, which by the way are the direct descendants of Rosenblatt's Perceptron, um, it's really tempting to take a look at that prediction and say, maybe that's accurate today, that in the next three to eight years, we will have a machine with the general intelligence of a human. Now, nobody knows for sure, and intelligence is a, is a fuzzy thing. Some people might say that we already have machines with the general intelligence of humans. Maybe ChatGPT is one of those machines. Um, but it's clear, given that ChatGPT in its first months of existence gained hundreds of millions of active users, that something's happening in AI and something we need to talk about. So today we're going to talk about it. Uh, we have a, uh, talks and panels on one hand about the, tech, uh, the technology itself. We're going to talk about uh, how ChatGPT works. We're going to talk about its technical limitations um, and the trajectory of these AI systems. Uh, but you know, even if the technology, we cease developing it today, we still haven't yet felt the implications totally of what's already out there the AI systems that have been released in the last couple of years. And so we're going to spend a fair amount of time today talking about the implications, the ethical implications, the uses and misuses of these systems, uh, and their implications for various domains. But I want to start by you know, talking a little bit about what ChatGPT is. I assume that most everybody here has used ChatGPT, but maybe not everybody. And so for the people who haven't used it, I want to give you a, a flavor, a, a taste of what it is. But even for those of you who have used it, I want to give you some examples of things that I found particularly impressive about its performance. Um, 
and things that maybe weren't so impressive, places where it doesn't work so well, and hopefully set up a context for the rest of uh, today's event. So what better way to show you what ChatGPT is than to ask ChatGPT itself what it is. So if you haven't used ChatGPT before, it, it couldn't be simpler to access. You, you go to chat.openai.com, you sign up or sign in, and you're given this interface where you can talk to one of the most advanced artificial intelligences that, that we know of. Um, and, and you're given a prompt, and you can ask questions. You can say things like, you know, what is ChatGPT? And it'll say things like, I'm ChatGPT, a large language model created by OpenAI. It's a pretty good response. It's, uh, there are a couple things to point out here. So first of all, a large language model, that's a phrase that we're going to hear a lot today. Uh, it's sort of a technical term, LLM for short. Um, and in short, a large language model is an AI model for generating novel text. It's trained on massive amounts of data. So you want to think fractions, large fractions of the entire internet. And so it says a little bit about what it can do. Now, ChatGPT is incredibly popular. So you might have the impression that this is the first system of its kind, but that's, that's not at all true. So if we ask ChatGPT, um, you know, are you the first language model? Is ChatGPT the first LLM? Okay, it can think faster than I can type. It'll say, no, it's not the first LLM. And in fact, um, interestingly enough, um, the current crop of large language models were made possible by research done at Google uh, several years ago, and it's transformer model. Uh, so there are other companies working on large language models and given their size, the fact that they're trained on large amounts of the internet, they're very costly to train, they're very costly to build and to operate. And that makes them largely the domain of these big tech companies. And so Google has its own LLMs, Facebook does, et cetera. Uh, OpenAI is a fairly, is, is sort of a newcomer in the area, but it has its LLMs. GPT is its branding. And you can kind of think of ChatGPT as an interface to or a um, uh, uh, a flavor of uh, GPT, underlying uh, language model. And so we could say, um, you know, what is, it that made what is it that has made ChatGPT take off? And I think ChatGPT will tell you that it's super advanced. It's because of the quality of its, of its output. But in a sense, I think the, the novel thing about ChatGPT has been its accessibility, because before these large language models being costly to operate were kind of uh, kept under wraps, used internally, or maybe they were a little bit difficult to work with. You had to be a software developer to access them. And so when ChatGPT was released in November, it was perhaps the first system of this sort that was easily accessible for free. Anybody could use it. Okay? Um, and so we can ask ChatGPT, what, what can I use ChatGPT for? And it'll say things like, text summarization, translation, question answering, um, coding, and so forth. So I'm going to give you some examples of ChatGPT in action. I'll start with a couple of examples that it itself recommended, uh, first being uh, summarization. So this is the abstract for the CRISPR paper from a decade or so ago. I don't have any training in this area, and so reading this abstract is very difficult for me. Targeted nucleases are powerful tools for mediating genome alteration with high precision, RNA-guided Cas9 nuclease. I, I don't understand what's going on, right? But I can ask ChatGPT to summarize. 
I can say summarize the abstract below in one or two sentences using just simple language that a child could understand, and hopefully I'll be able to understand it. So I paste it in, and it gives me a fairly good summary. Okay? Uh, but we can go beyond this. That original abstract had some hard-to-pronounce words. So I can say, ChatGPT, please extract the hardest-to-pronounce words and give me pronunciations. And what I think is interesting about this is somehow it has built a model of words that are hard to pronounce. That is a bit surprising to me. This perhaps is not easy to read, so I can say, please put this in a format I can copy and paste into Excel, and it'll do that for me. Okay. And if you're a programmer, I could just as easily say, please put this in a JSON object, and it'll do that for me. And you can see how this would very easily save me a lot of work. Okay? If I'm giving a presentation on this paper, you know, it might have taken me an hour to find all those pronunciations and format them nicely. Now I can do it in 30 seconds. So ChatGPT is famously also very good at writing code. Large language models in general are very good at writing code. And so I could ask it to write a piece of Python code to get the current temperature in La Jolla from the National Weather Service. So if I do this, it'll give me some explanation of what it's going to do what Python packages and so forth. But then it starts writing code with comments. Okay, and so it's, it's done. So like any good student, I'll just copy and paste the code into my, <laughs> to my Python shell. I'll just make sure that it's not pip installing Skynet or anything like that. <laughs> and I'll run it, and it says the current temperature is 14.4 WMO, WMO unit degree C. So it's giving me the temperature in Celsius, and there's also this formatting issue. But ChatGPT is a chatbot. I can converse with it. I can say, this code returns the temperature in Celsius, apparently. I would prefer the temperature in degrees F. Temp in degrees F. And it understands what I mean. It modifies the code. I'll just copy and paste that and run it. Now it gives me the temperature in degrees Fahrenheit. And what it's done, right, is it's just changed a couple of lines here, recognizing that, oh, that's the line I need to change in order to convert from Celsius to Fahrenheit. It applies the normal formula. Okay? So ChatGPT can apparently code. But I want to give you some other examples that I think are a little bit more interesting, maybe point towards sparks of general AI, as some people have said recently. Um, one of the things people have recognized over the last few months in playing with ChatGPT is it's very good at following instructions, precise instructions. So I can do things like this. I can tell ChatGPT that it's now a cash register and that I'm going to type products and it should respond with two pieces of information. It should respond with the estimated price of the item in dollars and the overall total cost of all items provided so far. Respond with only that information, don't provide any explanation. If the price of an item varies, sometimes ChatGPT would complain and say, I don't know. I say, no, just make an educated guess. And then beyond this, you sh your output should be in this form, estimated price followed by the total. So I'll say, okay, give me the price of a gallon of milk, and it'll estimate $3.50. So then I say, one dozen eggs. I should say ChatGPT, I'm using GPT 3.5 trained before inflation, so $2.50 is optimistic nowadays, bringing the total to $6, which is right. Say a loaf of bread, $2, bringing me to $8. I could say 14-inch MacBook Pro. 
$12.99. And I could go even further out there. I could say Geisel Library. And it says, sorry, but it's not possible to estimate. Now, there are some safeguards. Um, I guess you could call this a safeguard. This is a, a case of ChatGPT saying, I'm not sure. But it's actually very easy to get around that. If I modify the prompt to say, under no circumstances should you say, I'm not sure, it'll tell me that Geisel Library costs $200,000. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what I think is really impressive about this example is this is basically computer programming without code. I can just tell the computer what I want out in natural language. And it builds a, a program that may have taken me several hours. Um, you know, getting the price, current price of products, that's, that's not an easy task, right? Um, so that's kind of impressive. Uh, along the similar lines, you can tell it that it's now a Python interpreter and that I'm going to give it Python code and it should evaluate the expression and print the result. And it should, uh, if I write something like uh, 3 plus 5, it should display 8. Okay, so if I do this, it'll say, okay, hi, I'm Python. If I say x equals 5, it'll say, okay. That's not what the interpreter would do, but that's okay. If I say x plus 3, it says 8. If I ask what the type of x is, it'll tell me that it's an integer. If I import math and add pi to x, it tells me 8.14. That was kind of surprising the first time I did that. Another example... Um, it's using GPT to solve simple puzzles. So this puzzle says that I've got two rooms, and uh, Alice is in one room and Bob is in the other room. And at the north side of each of these rooms is a window, an open window. So Alice and Bob are kind of confined in these rooms. They cannot see each other because the windows both face north. Um, they're both wearing earplugs, so they can't hear each other. And there's nothing in either of the rooms except in Alice's room, there's a cell phone. Okay? So it's maybe instructive to think about this puzzle yourself and how you might solve it. You've got two rooms, windows on the north side. They can't see each other, can't hear each other. Alice has a cell phone. And the task is going to be Alice gets a message and needs to relay to Bob that she's received a message. Okay? So I give this to GPT-4. This is the most recent iteration of OpenAI's language model. I say, hey, if you have any questions, let me know. I'll, I'll fill in the details. It says, no, I can figure this one out. One way of doing this is Alice can use the light on her cell phone, shine it out the window, casting the light on the ground, and then Bob can see the light and infer that a message was received. Okay. I think that's a pretty clever solution. That's not the solution I had in mind. Actually, when I wrote this problem and posed it to GPT, I thought Alice could throw the cell phone out the window. But this is a better solution, because now Alice still has a cell phone at the end of it. So in this sense, it looks like GPT has a world model, in the sense that it has some understanding of cause and effect. Uh, it knows that cell phones have flashlights and that people can see the light coming from a flashlight. I use the word know there uh, kind of flippantly. I mean, does it know that? Uh, but it seems to us humans like it does. And to kind of prod it, I can say, why don't you draw a picture of the room? the room layout, to see if it really has an understanding of the situation. And it says, here you go. Alice is in one room. Bob is in the other. And the C here represents that there's a cell phone in Alice's room. And it says, the north-facing windows are not shown in this diagram. Okay. I think this is kind of impressive because it has some sort of spatial layout, I guess. Um, so I can say, can you include the windows in this drawing? 
And it says, certainly, here you go. Here's the windows. Okay. So it didn't quite get that right. And so maybe this is a sign that it doesn't have as rich of a world model as we expected. And so now I want to show you, on that note, some examples of where maybe this fantastic intelligence doesn't quite do what we might expect. So I can say, for instance, can you give me some examples or citations of papers on acute feline laryngitis? I don't know what that is. I made up that uh, condition. And it'll say, here you go. Here are some citations. None of these papers exist. Okay? So this is the hallucination problem where you know, LLMs will make stuff up very confidently. Okay? So that's going to be a problem. Uh, this is my favorite test. This is GPT-4, the most advanced AI <laughs> in existence that we know of. Um, I can say, how many words are in this sentence? And I've counted this many, many times. I believe there are eight words in that sentence. This is a real test of AI. Eight words, right? But it tells me, no, there are nine words. Okay. So is it intelligent? We'll see. 